Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Father, um, we come before you today um, in reverent awe. We just sang a song uh, about how you are holy. Um, and we, we have saying that we want you to open the eyes of our hearts that we may see you, see you for who you are in your fullness and be transformed by you because of it. Lord, we pray that as we approach your word, um, you would challenge us and encourage us today um, that we would be different uh, people walking out than we were as we walked in because we've met with you in your word. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 5, verse 48, again, says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, These are the words of Jesus in the middle of perhaps his most famous sermon. And he is speaking to people who are following him, who are learning from him. And he he issues this, this command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. That everyone who belongs to him needs to pay attention to and put into practice. And what does he say? What is this command? Uh, He says, be perfect just like God is perfect. Um, Jesus is paraphrasing a command found in the book of Leviticus. We find the defining instructions of what it means to be one of God's people. In Leviticus chapter 20 verse 26, the Lord says this to his people. He says, you are to be holy to me. Because I, the Lord, am holy and have set you apart from the nations to be my own. The rationale that God gives is that we, as his people, are supposed to be holy because he is holy. If we belong to him, if we're part of his family, then we should look like him and act like him. And God's, one of God's defining characteristics is that he is holy. And if he is holy, then we also should be holy. But what does, that, what does that mean? What does that word mean to be holy? Well, uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it describes it this way, that God's holiness means the whole earth is full of his glory. That everywhere you look, uh, you see and feel God's majesty, his might, his power, his bigness. Uh, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, John tells us that God's holiness relates to his existing before now and forever. Um, In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, God's holiness means that there's no one else like him, that he is unique. He is set apart. Uh, Holiness is is a really big theological word, but taken from these verses and other verses in the Bible, simply means being complete, having no fault, having everything in its right place. And when Scripture says that God is holy that he is perfect, it means that he never messes up. He doesn't make mistakes. He's not lacking in anything. In other words, uh, as described in that Leviticus passage, God is set apart. That's what holiness means, to be set apart, to be totally different, unlike anything or anyone else. The opposite of being holy is being common, being profane, Um, Being similar to everything else. 
Um, having flaws, being broken, mistake-prone, blemished, not complete. Now, you may be thinking, well, if that's the case, um, that God is holy and holiness means being perfect, being complete, not lacking in anything, um, and the opposite is that to holiness is commonness, being broken, making mistakes, well, how am I ever supposed to measure up to God then, Right? Uh, because when I look over that list of all the things that are opposite to holiness, being broken, being messed up, lacking in something, I think, well, that's, that's definitely me. That's me right there. Um, and that's all of us, isn't it? I mean, we, we're all there. And yet, here Jesus is saying that you and I are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be set apart on a whole other level to anything and ev- everyone else. And I think, well, how is that even possible? Uh, how, are, am I, how am I supposed to be holy like God is holy, perfect like He is perfect? How is that even possible? Well, when we ask that question, we often come up with two really bad answers. Um, first, if the expectation is that I am called to be holy like God is holy, but the reality is that I'm nowhere close to that, one solution is that I'm going to instead just feel small and inadequate. Uh, because of my sin, because of my past, because of my history, because of my brokenness or my hurts or my baggage or whatever, I, I will never be acceptable to God. Not fully. Uh, I can come to church, I'll hear sermons on grace and forgiveness, um, and they make some sort of sense, but I think they don't really apply to me. Not, not really. Um, see, God's love for me, for me of all people just doesn't really add up. It doesn't compute. It can't possibly be true. And so, I'll walk around believing myself to be less, to being not good enough. And so I'll measure myself up against other people about how they look, how good they are, how holy they appear, how they have their life all together. Um, And I think, well, surely I'm not perfect. I'm not holy. I have... So many things going on in my life, I'll I'll never be acceptable to others, and especially not to God. And if that's true, if that's sort of a solution that you come up to, come up with, with this command to be holy, to be perfect, it affects really every area of your life. You just walk around and it affects your work relationships, because you're not, you never think you're good enough. If you're not good enough for God, it will affect your marriage or whatever. It's just always there. The second solution we come up with um, for not meeting God's standard of holiness is that we think, well, I'm going to spruce myself up, put on a happy face, and act like I'm fine. Meanwhile, I'm lying to myself and others about the truth about who I am and what I'm up to. Uh, I witness this show every single time I get together with other Christians. Uh, I'll chat with people after church and I'll ask them, oh, how's your week? How are you going? And not... A single person ever really says, actually, Travis, I'm really struggling. This week has been really hard. Let me tell you all about it. Instead, people say, oh, yeah, it's been good. I'm good. Things are all right. Um, I've attended Bible studies in the past, uh, and you always get to that moment in a community group and a Bible study where everyone says, now let's stop and pray for one another. How can we be praying for each other? And uh, I've sat in these Bible studies, and as people are going around, I find that they often will never actually share anything about themselves. They, they don't 
open up about their own issues or their own inadequacies and ask for God to be praying for them to help them in some way. It's always, yeah, you can be praying for this other guy that I know, this coworker, this friend of mine. Uh, that person needs Jesus. That person is struggling, but not me. I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Thanks. Um, and we think that if we doll ourselves up and say, she'll be right, mate, then somehow it'll mask what's actually going on, that we don't have our life together, that we're not holy enough, that we don't look like everyone else, that we're, that we're tired, that we're hurting, that we can't keep up, that we actually need help. So we just smile when we get together and act like everything's okay. Um, I often participate in both of these so-called solutions to my lack of holiness problem. Uh, and I know I'm not the only one. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I looked at my youth leaders, the pastors of my church, as like superhumans. All right? They were just always talking about what God was doing in their life and how God was speaking to them. They looked like they had their life together. Um, and I thought, like, how am I ever going to be like these people? Like, I, I wish I could be like them. And now I'm a pastor, and I feel like a bit of a fake a lot of the time. Because I get up here and I preach, I, I, uh, I lead Bible studies, I, I, I meet with people and I pray for them, I listen to their problems and I sort of give advice and do all these things and I, I feel like that's not, I, I'm broken, I'm messed up, um, I, I don't have my life together and uh, I struggle to feel like I'm just, I'm faking it a lot of the time, I get up here I put a smile on my face, but deep down I'm, I struggle. I don't feel like I'm good enough a lot of the time, that I'm messed up. And I think, well, how, why would anyone actually want to listen to me? Don't they know what I'm going through? Uh, and many of us in this church family are doing the exact same thing. Um, and we think, how, Jesus, am I ever supposed to measure up to this command? I mean, I'm not holy, so... I guess I'll just hate myself and I think that your love for me isn't real. Or I'll hide. I'll put on a mask. I'll act like I have it all together. But I'm not really going to open up about what's really going on. Um, you may have read Romans chapter 7 before. Uh, in that chapter, we find the struggle that the Apostle Paul is having that hits home for many of us. Um, he talks about knowing how he's called to be like God, how he's supposed to be holy, to follow God's commands, but he finds himself not really able to. And he says even when he tries to do good, even when he tries to get his life together and do the right thing, um, he still messes up. He still falls short. He, he's not quite there. Um, and he describes himself as being... He says, it feels like being a prisoner to my own sin and my own brokenness. Like I'm stuck... And as much as, as hard as I try to be a better person or to be holy, I'm, I'm stuck. I can't do it. I'll never measure up. And in verse 24 of Romans 7, it appears that Paul throws up his hands and not knowing what to do, he says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I'm a prisoner. How am I ever going to... I want to be holy. I want to do the right thing. I want to be like God. But I can't get there. I'm a wretched man. I'm subject to... How am I ever going to escape? If you ever read this passage, the first thing that comes to your mind, to my mind when I read it, is, yeah, that is my story too. That's my struggle. 
Um, as I try to live for God, but I can't measure up, that's my struggle too. But if you actually read Romans in context, that's not what Paul is actually saying. He's not saying that struggle is true for Christians. Uh, He's not talking about the struggle of a Christ follower to be holy like God but can't seem to get there. Um, That's not what he's saying. Um, That's what it feels like he's saying. Um, But for many of us who love that passage and resonate with it, how how can that not be what he's talking about? Because that seems pretty clear. Well, I'll tell you why. Because he says in the very next verse, in Romans 7, verse 25, he says, Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. And in the very next chapter, chapter 8, he continues by saying, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to his spirit. What's Paul saying here? He says in the beginning of chapter 7, I have this struggle to to be good, to be holy, but I can't measure up. Who's going to say, how am I going to get out of this mess that I find myself in? And he says, thanks be to Jesus. He's the one who's done it all. And then he goes on to say that there's actually nothing you and I can do to be holy, to be acceptable in God's sight, to be perfect. God did it for us by sending Jesus to stand in our place. And he's given us his same spirit, a spirit where we're no longer condemned to that same struggle, where you think, oh, I don't measure up, I wish I could be better, I wish I could be holier. He says, actually, I've given you my spirit that, you, that no longer applies to you anymore. And because we have Jesus, we no longer have to hate ourselves to feel like we're not good enough for God's love, or we never have to hide who we are to fake it till we make it, because there's no condemnation. Yeah, but what does that mean, though, Travis? Well, think of it this way. We often think that God's holiness means that anything or anyone less than God can't even approach him, right? Because I'm a sinner or... I have brokenness in my life that God can have nothing to do with that because he's holy, he's set apart. There's this legend um, that in ancient times when the Jewish high priest uh, would go into the temple uh, that he would have a rope tied around his waist. There's an area of the temple called uh, the most holy place or the holy of holies where once a year this high priest would be chosen to go into this special room where it was believed God's very presence was. And they tied this rope around this high priest's waist um, because they thought if this, this high priest happened to have some sort of unrepented sin in his life or some hidden brokenness in his life that he forgot to deal with before going and meeting with God face to face, then he would die, right? Because sin and God can't have anything to do with each other. And so, if he died in God's presence because something was wrong with him, all the other priests would be uh, in some other room and they'd pull pull this dead guy out with the rope instead of trying to go in there and grab him and they have sin in their life and then he just die and then there's the whole pile of bodies, right? We'll just pull this guy out uh, if he dies and therefore we don't have to face death and judgment ourselves. 
And we think that's often the picture of what we think about when we think of God's holiness and our brokenness and our sin, that they don't go together. But that's actually not really what the Bible conveys about how a holy God deals with a less than holy people. Uh, There's a story in the Hebrew prophets about a guy named Isaiah who walks into the temple one day, uh, just like you and I would walk into church today. Uh, But instead of seeing a priest or a pastor up there, up the front, it says he sees God himself, uh, God's very godness hanging out there, and there's these flaming angels flying around, singing out in thunderous voices how holy God is. The whole place is filled with smoke, it's rumbling around, it's this awesome scene. And Isaiah, poor Isaiah, realizes what's happening, he goes into the temple thinking he's going to have a normal you know, temple experience, but instead there's God and these angels and all this stuff happening, and he realizes what's going on, and he falls down on his face, and he cries out, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He believes himself to be a dead man, because God's holiness and his sinfulness are not simpatico. They don't go together. They're not friends. But instead of being completely obliterated or destroyed, something else happens. Uh, God sends this angel down uh, who takes this coal from this altar, uh, and he touches Isaiah's mouth with this coal. And instead of him getting burned up or having embarrassing charcoal face or whatever, um, this angel says, this act has burned your guilt and sin away, and you are made new. See, we think that our sin taints God, which is why he can't have anything to do with it. But that's actually not the case. That God's holiness actually taints us. We see the same thing happening in Jesus' ministry. Uh, People with disabilities or diseases uh, uh, approach Jesus and they touch him, which is a big cultural no-no because people thought, "You, you have these things wrong with you because you have some sort of sin in your life or your parents did something wrong and therefore God is displeased with you. And so you don't walk around Uh, hanging out with other people who are holy and have their life together because you don't want to transfer your problems onto them. But these people are approaching Jesus and touching him. um, And his disciples and the other people around him start freaking out. And they think, don't touch Jesus because your brokenness might transfer to him. He'll be tainted with your junk. But the opposite happens when you read those passages. Instead of Jesus being stained with sin or brokenness, His holiness, his perfection transfers to them. God makes the first move and approaches us in our shame and in our pain and reaches in and gives us hurting, imperfect humans, newness and freedom. He gives us something that we can never attain for ourselves. And what this means is that you and I don't have to strive to be holy enough or good enough. Uh, It It means that we don't have to walk around in shame, feeling like we'll never measure up or put on a disguise so that everybody and God will think we're okay. Uh, Instead, we can know that our burden has been completely lifted and we can spend time together as God's family reveling in how perfectly imperfect we all are. And how it doesn't matter anymore because Jesus has stepped in and given us something that we can't earn for ourselves. So when Jesus says, be perfect, 
as your heavenly Father is perfect, uh, to be holy as He is holy. He's not trying to tell us that we just need to strive really hard to be better moral human beings um, to, in order to be acceptable to God or to be loved by Him. When Jesus says to be perfect, it means to trust in Him, in His perfection, in His holiness instead of your own. In that very same sermon that that passage comes out of, um, Jesus tells his followers not to worry about anything. Not, don't worry about food or appearance or, uh, or money or any of those things. Instead, he says in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, pursue God. Trust in his righteousness, his completeness, his holiness, his everythingness. And when you do... Everything else will fall into place for you. You don't need to worry. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 8. He says in verse 10 that if Christ is in you, though brokenness and sin may continue to surround you in this world, his spirit gives you life because of his righteousness. And he says in Romans chapter 8 verse 11 that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. In other words, this same spirit that, raised, that conquered death, Jesus has given to you. If he's conquered death, I think he can conquer whatever baggage or past problems that you have. Right? He's bigger than that. So he says in verse 5 of Romans 11, Set your mind, therefore, on the spirit. He says elsewhere that our job isn't to strive to have our, all our lives together, but simply keep in step with the Spirit. So what does that look like practically then? Well, a few points um, just to go out on. Um, first of all, remember, you are holy because of what Jesus has already done for you. Um, by believing in Him, by accepting in Him, by following after Him, His holiness, His perfection is yours. You don't have to be good enough. You're already there. It's not like you have to be, have your life all together because he has his life together and he's given it to you. You are holy because of what Jesus has already done. Secondly, therefore, we are called to rely on the Holy Spirit. Not just once, but every single day. That every day we get up and say, all right, God, how can I keep trusting in you? Not for your salvation or whatever, not like it changes, that you're not going to be saved if you don't do this, but just for your everyday sort of walking in your everyday faith to say, all right, God, I need to trust in you because I can't do it on my own. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. But help me to follow what you're doing. Which leads us to point number three. Uh, Paul instructs um, the church to keep in step with the Spirit, which means that uh, how do we do that? How do we trust in the Spirit? How do we know? How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Well, we know what the Spirit is doing when we regularly read God's Word and seek His guidance through prayer. That when we're studying God's Word in Scripture, we get to know who God is, what His Spirit is up to, what the, and understand the things that God likes doing. When you read God's Word, you say, oh, God loves to spend His time being generous and loving people who have nothing. So maybe I should be doing that. And, uh, and seeking God's presence, His Spirit, through prayer. That every day we should be saying, God, I want to trust in you. Show me where you're going today. Reveal someone that you want me to spend time with or encourage or um, 
just help me in some way and just have this dependence on God's Spirit through prayer regularly. That's how we know what God's Spirit's doing. Fourth, lastly, as a church family, we are called to do this together. Uh, We are all called to be holy. Um, This means that, what that means is not uh, showing up here and faking it till you make it and acting like you have everything together so when I ask you at coffee how you're going, you don't say, oh, I'm good. You actually say what's going on in your life. Um, or, think, or come in here and think, well, this grace stuff that we talk about doesn't really apply to you. Uh, it means that we together need to be honest and vulnerable. It means walking alongside one another. Uh, it means as a community seeking out where God's Spirit is leading us and depending on Him for all things. Uh, This church should make that sort of lifestyle, uh, that sort of confession, a regular habit. That we don't get into the habit of thinking, well, I'll just come here, and I'm an attendee, and then I walk away, and I have to struggle through life on my own. But actually, we're all in this together. We all need to rely on Jesus' holiness, uh, on his love, on his spirit. And, And the cool part about scripture is that we can help each other to do that. As we walk alongside one another, that's like God's Spirit walking alongside of us. And that's what we're called to be and do. There's this old 90s worship song that is not the most deep cut, um, but I quite like it. It goes like this. It goes, Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. I don't know if you heard that song. But when I first sung that song, I thought it was like, that, I have to manufacture this on my own. But reading through scripture, I realized that that song, what, what this holiness thing is, is actually just depending on God's holiness for me. It's not trying to come up with it, trying to be good enough. It's actually saying, um, I want to depend on you, which the next line goes on to say. He says, so take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. Asking God, I want to depend on you, so you do the work in me. Um, And if you really want to experience God's fullness, his righteousness, his perfect holiness, his great abundance to be set apart, then that song should really be our prayer on our lips that we wake up to and sing every single morning. And the last breath that we breathe at night To say, God, I want your holiness, so I'm going to depend on you. I'm not going to strive to do it myself, but I want want you to do that work in me. Will you pray that prayer with me? Let's pray. God, holiness is what I long for. It's what I need. It's what you want from me. So take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, Lord. We thank you for this command, and we ask your forgiveness for how we've taken it the wrong way. That somehow we have to be good, moral human beings to measure up to you, and if we don't, that we have to either live in self-hate or put on a mask to make it seem like we have it all together. That's not what you want from us. Instead, you want us to rely on what you have already done, Jesus, that you've done the work for us, and you call us instead just to trust, to believe 
to follow after your spirit. God, we no longer want to be slaves. We don't want to be prisoners, as Paul describes, to this repetitive cycle of trying to be good and not measuring up and feeling inadequate, but instead to have confidence and joy knowing that you've done it for us. And because of you, um, you've given your holiness to us. So help us, God, to trust in you. Um, each day as we wake up, um, as we navigate um, yeah, the things that occur every day as we go to bed, may that song be the first and last song on our, on our lips. God, that we want to strive for the holiness that you've uh, already achieved and you give freely to us because of your grace. We thank you. 